Welcome to the second Yorkshire Inside podcast of the 2021 school year. I'm Lori Darnell, here with Michelle Young, our technical guru. We're both on Yorkshire Academy's admin team, and our guest today is Jackie Stanley, the fabulous Yorkshire Academy teacher, children's author and illustrator, and so much more. But we've asked her here today to focus on her love of the ocean and how that devotion impacts her life and the lives of her students. The topic of today's podcast is... From the shores of Bondi Beach to Galveston Bay and everywhere in between, episode number six. Welcome, Mrs. Stanley. Thank you, Mrs. Donnell. Mrs. Stanley, tell us a little bit about where and how you grew up. Well, um, I was born in Sydney, Australia, on the outskirts of Sydney, in a suburb called Epping, a very English name, and um, grew up there. And by the time I could, I guess by the time I could walk, most Australians find themselves heading to the beach. It's a big part of our Aussie culture. And um, we would find ourselves going to the beach almost every weekend and as much as, as much time as possible spending on the beach. So I learned to surf when I was pretty young and I, of course, knew how to swim. But it wasn't until I met my husband on Bondi Beach and went to Singapore with him uh, he was a commercial diver, and he taught me to scuba dive. So how did you end up from Australia to Yorkshire Academy, <laughs> and how long have you been here? Well, um, meeting my husband, as I said, he was a commercial diver, and um, the oil industry was growing, oil and gas community was growing, being sent all over the world, and they were looking for people, anybody that would be comfortable underwater. So he became one of the very first Australian commercial divers and was diving to depths of up to five and 600 feet in saturation. And I started to learn about that. And we traveled all over the world. We've lived all over the world with our, dragged our three children along with us and um, finally ended up in Houston, as you do if you're connected with the oil and gas industry. Right. And um, yes, and decided to investigate, <clears throat> excuse me, um, teaching a little bit more about the things I've seen and the things I've done. So my little granddaughter um, was attending a little school called Yorkshire Academy. And one day I thought that would be fun to do a little class during the summer and met Mrs. Darnell and Mrs. Howard, our principal. And somehow they convinced me that I needed to be here on a more permanent basis. And uh, We were so smart. So eight years have passed and I'm still here and uh, love, still loving it, loving the kids, loving my colleagues and um, loving that they never say no to crazy ideas. So really, so as far as your love of the ocean, I mean, it's just kind of who you are. But not everybody from Australia gets as involved with everything to do with the ocean as you do. So how did that really start? I think it really started when I realized that I'd seen and done things that were just no longer available to see and do due to partly due to climate change, partly due to pollution, partly due to human impact on our ocean. And I started to think, I've seen things that people, that are just not there now. They're just not there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I decided that it, was, it would be a great thing to share what I've done with, especially with kids. 
And um, that's how it all started, just figuring out how to make it exciting, which it is, and interesting and so important. So you did not formally study the ocean? No, not really. It, we kind of, um, I think culturally, it kind of just comes to us. We all talk about the weather. We all instinctively knew which way the wind was blowing, what the surf would be like. Um, what animals would be washed up on the beaches. So it, I think Australians, more so than maybe many other countries, have the privilege of being so close to all of our oceans. And, um, and so I didn't study it formally. It was just something we knew about, it seemed like. But as I started to become interested in um, sharing it with children in particular, I started to make it a more formal, deeper understanding. So you talked about your husband being a scuba diver, but mm -hmm. you're a pretty serious scuba diver too. So do you have a favorite story? Yes, I'm a very serious scuba diver. And the funny thing is I'm, I dive more than my husband for the last 10, 15 years. I've had way more dives than him. I've dived in all the oceans of the world except for the Antarctic, and I'm still holding out for that one. But um, one of my favorite stories, let's see, I think I have a couple. One was a, a very nerve-wracking but exciting privilege. I got to spend time in an underwater habitat um, and broadcast classroom lessons from the underwater habitat where we ate and slept. The Aquarius habitat is off Key Largo in Florida. And, but the other story is one that's kind of spiritual and it stays with me. Um, it really has stayed with me almost my whole life. About 25 years ago, we were diving off the coast of Vanuatu and the tourist um, resort had sunk a big ship and they intended on the ship sort of settling in about 40, 60 feet so it was within safe distance for scuba divers, all scuba divers. But because Vanuatu is volcanic the sides of the island sloped really sharply and so the ship settled down in about 160 feet so it wasn't within very many divers realm. But one night we um, were on a liverboard dive boat and the captain said, do you want to go and dive on this, this wreck? And we said, yeah. So it was a very, very dark night. No moon, <clears throat> excuse me, no moon. Um, and so we waited till about 9 or 10 o'clock at night and there were four of us. And we got in a little skiff and went out and anchored or tied up over the top of this wreck and descended down the line to the bow of the ship. And it was pitch dark. It was so black in the water. And we slowly descended and we ended up kneeling on the bow of the ship. And we, could, we were all next to each other. We could feel each other side by side waiting. And we all turned off our lights and we just sat there for a few minutes. And pretty soon, out of the hold of this ship came thousands and thousands and thousands of little fish called flashlight fish. And they've got phosphorescence little marks on their cheeks, if fish have cheeks. And mm -hmm. it looked like we were in space. 
this black ocean. And the more little fish came out of the hold, they illuminated the, the ship. And we could sit there seeing this ship lit up by all these thousands of little fish. We could feel them brushing past us. There were so many of them. And we pushed off from the bow and swam through the hold, through all these little twinkling lights. And then pretty soon, because it was so deep, it was time to go up because we had to decompress. And um, we all got back into the skiff at the t on the surface and just sat there and we just couldn't speak. It was so moving. And of course, these things are just not available to do now um, for a lot of different reasons. But that one really stuck out and always will. Oh my, <laughs> that's wonderful. So let's jump to Texas. Right. <laughs> what is the Flower Garden National Marine Sanctuary and why is it important? Um, the Flower Gardens was, is one of our National Marine Sanctuaries and we have 14 of them and I came to know about it because um, I have a good friend, an Australian as it happens, who's a marine biologist and she works at the Flower Garden Banks. So she introduced me to the flower gardens, took me diving out there, shockingly, um, or not surprisingly actually, we have the healthiest coral reef in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, sitting right offshore from Texas, and eventually she convinced me to um, uh, apply to be part of the advisory council, which, which I did. I was successful and very honoured to serve as the education seat for many, many years on the Flower Gardens. And Flower Garden Banks was called that because many years ago fishermen um, were out there fishing, obviously, and looked down and saw all these beautiful colours and thought it looked like a flower garden, and that's why it's called Flower Garden Banks. But the Flower Garden Bank's office still gets calls from people ordering roses and things like <laughs> that. <laughs> but yes, it's one of our most pristine reserves, most pristine underwater national parks in, in the whole country, actually. Yes. And people in Texas just don't know about it, do they? They don't know it exists. People just assume Galveston, oh, not, not, not great, but 100 miles offshore, um, for an example, Florida has 17% coral coverage. Flower Gardens has 51% coral coverage. It's just stunning. Home to whale sharks, hammerhead sharks, uh, beautiful manta rays, but the corals, the sponges, it's really breathtaking. Yeah. So seeds. Seeds. <laughs> it's a very important element of Yorkshire nowadays. So how did that happen? Well, I had this idea that because of my position on the advisory council, I could start sharing what was going on in Washington, in NOAA, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, with the students. And so it started out with an idea that we could just meet each other for lunch and talk a little bit about what was going on. So did you know that we're going to pass this law, that kind of thing? Or did you know that right now there's billions of hammerhead sharks heading for flower gardens? And just make it very casual. And we decided to call it Seeds 
because it was such a cute acronym for students engaging the environment through discovery and science. And, and it grew. And first, I think the first year we had eight kiddos and they just soaked it all up. And second year we had about 13. And then that year they were invited to go to Katie um, ISD to give a presentation to their peers. And later on they were invited to go to Lone Star College and they actually taught um, a first-year marine science class to freshman biology students and so it grew and grew and then one day Mrs Howard very thoughtfully gave me two um, two periods in the day or in the week for seeds and we've done amazing things we've sampled water water samples from all around us we've um, been invited to go to Rice University where the students talk to the coral bioscience lab and um, explain what they know to them. So it's um, it's grown so much, and now we we continue to learn. This year, for example, we've had three or four amazing guest speakers. We actually have one today, this afternoon, courtesy of Mrs. Darnell, and um, we will be making or re-engineering a, a, a density separator. So it's, it sort of gets incorporated into our science fair as well. So I work with Mrs. DeCherico, our science teacher, and it's grown into something really spectacular, more than I could have possibly imagined. So the seeds go off to other middle schools. They sprout seeds groups in Kincaid in, um, and our, our various public schools in other countries, in other states. So it's um it's been huge. Yeah, it's huge here. Yeah. So from that, we've ended up in Ocean Guardian School. Yes. So how did that happen and what does that really entail? Um, Noah offered that to schools who wish to um, commit more of them of more of their students and their time to really studying the ocean and different projects. There are 65 Ocean Guardian schools in America and only four in Texas. And uh, Yorkshire Academy is the only one in Houston. And we are on our third year. So each year we have to do a, a project. It's a lot of work, actually, but it's so worthwhile. We have to fulfill so many requirements, data analysis and a, and a special project, as I mentioned, and we're well on our way to becoming Year 3 Ocean Guardian School, which is a, a very prestigious honour. And um, it's so important with us being in Houston because it's easy to imagine the schools. So many schools, Ocean Guardian schools, are in California, and that's easy because they can walk out and they can look at the ocean. But when you're in the middle of a big city, it's very difficult to make the ocean important because we're far from it. We throw our trash away. We don't think about it. It's out of sight, out of mind. So with having, um, with having this little Ocean Guardian pocket in the middle of the city, it's very, very, very special. Indeed it is. So in addition to everything else you do, you are a published children's author, as I mentioned before. So can you tell us about your books? 
Yes. Um, the first one was about wall fields. We, went, we were invited to go diving in Canada, which was kind of shocking being an Australian. You don't normally associate Canada with fun diving. But um, my first dive up there, I dove through terrible bull kelp and um, ended up at the at the front of a den of amazing creatures called wolf eels 75 feet they they live at 75 feet they mate for life we've dived with the same pair now for ooh, 21 years they live to be about 70 years old we think and I just fell in love with them and we when I, we were flying back to Houston, I had an idea on the plane, started to write it down and, um, of course, sent it off to many publishers and got many rejection letters. And then finally someone in Vancouver agreed to publish it. And so it's called Wolfie the Wolfie. And then my second one was about an Aussie critter called the Leafy Sea Dragons the only leafy and weedy sea dragons in the world off the coast of South Australia. So I was interested in writing more about animals that we don't know about. Everybody knows about dolphins and turtles and whales and loves them, but not many people know about wolf eels or sea dragons. <laughs> so um, that's really where it all started. Well, obviously we could talk to you all day. <laughs> But we know you have a busy school day ahead of you. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Well, thank you. Um, I'm also a, a language arts teacher. In fact, that's what I have my degrees in is English. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I would just love to encourage all my listeners, particularly children, to make sure that their language your language is so, so powerful, not just correct grammar, although I have to say that is important, mm -hmm. but your language is so powerful and you can affect so many people with the way you speak, the way you think about how you live and how you impact others and how you impact our environment. Being a good steward, that means you're going to care for something, just doesn't mean that you're going to just care for things like the ocean or like our national parks, although it does, but you're going to care for each other. And so I would encourage you to be thoughtful about your use of your language and, um, yeah, just do the right thing. Reuse, recycle all those re-words. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mrs. Darnell. What a story. You are an inspiration not only to your students, but I know to the Yorkshire staff as well. <laughs> Thanks again to Mrs. Stanley for doing this and to Michelle Young for handling the technical aspect. And thanks to our listeners. Stay tuned for our next Yorkshire Inside Podcast. For more information about Yorkshire Academy, please visit yorkshireacademy.com. Thanks again.